Hello, you're listening to Peer to Peer, a segment from In the Balance, a newsletter and a website looking at news through a gender lens. I'm Ahlem Al Khattab and I'm pleased to welcome you to a new season of the series of conversations about gender and journalism. Today in Peer to Peer, our guest is Megan Clement. She's the editor of Impact, a bilingual newsletter at the intersection of politics and gender. In her career, Megan has extensively reported not only on these two topics, but also more generally on human rights, development and the climate crisis. Her reporting appeared in The Guardian, Bloomberg, CNN, to only name a few. She has also helped launch the network of media outlets, The Conversation. Gender has always been a very important topic for Megan, so it's no surprise that in November 2022, she co-founded the Gender Genderbeat, a collective of journalists working on gender and feminist issues. And this summer, the group published the results of a survey conducted with 100 media professionals to try and paint a picture of what gender journalism looks like in different parts of the world in 2023. You can read their report and key findings through the link in the description of this episode on whatever platform you're currently listening on. And in the meantime, let's listen to Megan explain the why and the why now of the survey, what findings surprised her the most, and what is her takeaway from all of this. We also talk about her work with Impact and what advice she would give herself if she were to get started with gender journalism today. Thank you so much for being here, Megan, and taking the time to have this conversation to talk about a few things, but it all has to do with gender journalism. First off, can you tell us a bit about the survey with 100 media workers across 34 countries, I believe? 43. 43 countries. That's a lot of coverage of different areas of the world. And so you try to make this report really about the journalists who are covering gender. So why did you want to have this survey in the first place? I think for some of the same reasons um, that I am a journalist, I was just very curious. So I have been doing journalism about uh, gender, about gender inequality, largely for feels like a decade, probably is even longer. Um, and I have always sort of had this gender focus in my work. Uh, and it wasn't until last year when I got together with Eliza Anyangwe, who is the editor of As Equals, CNN's Gender Vertical, and uh, Hui Yitan, who is at The Straits Times, and Ankita Anand, uh, who is a freelance uh, journalist in India who works with Unbiased News. The four of us came together, and that was kind of an amazing moment for me uh, because my experience of doing gender-conscious journalism is that it can be quite lonely. Um, you're either the only person in the newsroom who's focusing on it, or you're a freelancer, you're trying to convince often um, male uh, editors to take stories that are related to to the rights of women and gender diverse people. So that was amazing uh, that when the four of us came together and what we wanted to know in forming the gender beat was, you know, we knew about what our own experiences were, but we didn't know if this if these were applicable to to other journalists around the world. So we wanted mainly we wanted to know who else was out there. Um, how many people were kind of taking this gender focus to their work, pursuing uh, this type of journalism, which 
not very much journalism is well remunerated in 2023. Gender journalism is even, uh, it's even harder to place the stories. Uh, the kind of rates you can get are even lower. So I was sort of like, who else is crazy enough <laughs> out there to be to be doing this type of journalism? Uh, so that was really where the idea came from. And, you know, we had ideas, you know, I'm I'm very, well, I've been calling myself a feminist, I think, for as long as I could talk. Uh, that's not the case for everyone. Uh, we wanted to know, did people think of the journalism that they did as gender journalism, as feminist journalism, as something else? Uh, and one thing that was really important to us uh, was to, you know, you mentioned the number of countries, 43, to really reach out as far as we can and to to prioritize hearing from people uh, from countries that in mainstream news organizations we don't hear so much from. How did you manage to find all these people? Because you said you wanted to know who else is out there, but how did you find who else is out there? So it was it was a, a lot of work undertaken by Ankita, my colleague, um, You know, we drew on our personal networks. We drew on a Telegram group uh, that we have created called Noodle, which is a place where gender conscious journalists can kind of come together and share tips, share best practice, uh, ask for advice, you know, showcase their work. Uh, and Noodle itself has a majority world focus. Uh, so we definitely encourage people who are part of the group to sign up. And then I get to just did a huge amount of very in-depth research, looking, you know, looking at bylines, looking at news organizations, seeing who was out there and doing this work and writing to them and saying, hey, can you can you tell us your experiences? And we really made sure that we didn't, you know, over-prioritize the countries where we, we were. So I'm in France, she's in India, uh, Eliza's in the Netherlands, and Queenie's in Thailand. Uh, so we, you know, we wanted representation, but we tried, you know, I think in journalism, we really rely on our personal networks. And that's one of the great things about being a journalist is you're connected with people, but we wanted to go wider than that because there were, we knew that there were experiences that we wouldn't capture if we just focused on who we already knew. And why do this work now? Oh, because um, <laughs> it's not, because it's not, because uh, we're not where we should be. And I think anyone who works in this field will, will acknowledge that. There are incredible journalists out there and we spoke to a lot of them for this survey. Uh, but, you know, um, Luba Kosova has done a really fabulous uh, report uh, called From Outrage to Opportunity, looking at kind of what percentage, among, among other things, what percentage of news coverage is related to gender gaps. And that could be um, questions of ageism or pay inequality, or she has sort of eight measures, eight gender gaps that she um, analyzed. And it's 0.02%. Uh, and in Uh, on a planet where there's no country in the world that has reached gender equality. Uh, so this is literally an issue that affects every single person in the world because it affects men too. It's insane. It's insane to me that so little coverage is dedicated to it. And I believe that it's because we see gender equality as kind of the water that we swim in. We're so used to it uh, that we don't analyze it. Um, so, you know, I uh, some of my colleagues uh, have much more admirably um, optimistic outlooks in me. I try and be an optimist, but mostly I'm I'm fed up <laughs> uh, that there isn't more support for 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 this journalism, which is so important. Um, and for these journalists who honestly, some of the the people we heard from doing incredible work, um, often 
uh, underpaid, sometimes unpaid, often just out of passion. And we know that passion is not enough to sustain an industry. So we're really trying to make a case that we need more of this journalism, that those journalists are out there, that they need support, um, and that we can all do a little bit better. Throughout talking to all these different journalists, did you find out something that you just weren't expecting? Yes, I was, I knew, we knew uh, that burnout would be high because burnout is high among the general population after the pandemic. Burnout is particularly high among journalists because of the kind of precarity that's baked into our industry at the moment. Uh, but even knowing these two things, um, finding that 43% of our respondents had experienced burnout, that's very high. Um, so that was a surprise and that was an unwelcome surprise. But there were some positive things too. I mean, I wasn't surprised by the richness of the written responses that we got because the thing about journalists is they know how to communicate and they communicate well. So that was lovely reading them. Uh, the passion uh, for gender journalism was astonishing. Um, when we, we ask people, why do you do it? And the responses to that question, you know, they give me life. <laughs> Um, so that was really uh, wonderful to read that, that people care about this so much, despite how hard it can be. And also, you know, a lot of bad things are said about the media industry, often by me. Um, but we we did find that the majority of people were supported at least somewhat to do gender journalism. So I think we, we're picking up on a shift within newsrooms as well, uh, that they are willing to support reporters to do this kind of um, invaluable journalism as well. So people were more or less supported. Um, and that was that was good to learn. Especially with the emergence of gender editors in the last few years, I imagine that helps create a support system. It does. Um, and, you know, people often ask me, do we need gender editors? Uh, or do we need to kind of have gender focus on all stories you know do we need the vertical or do we need cross-cutting gender journalism and and my answer is always both uh, if we're any ever going to do anything about this 0.02 percent figure but it is encouraging that there are gender editors out there we spoke to a lot of them for the survey and um, newsrooms are taking notice uh, of the need to cover gender equality inequality The point I would make, though, is that it fluctuates too much. You know, gender can get pushed off the front page pretty quickly. We had this huge kind of reporting in, in the US, in, the, in Europe, in the UK around Me Too, and that really kind of went away. Uh, and then suddenly Roe v. Wade happens. Roe v. Wade did not come out of nowhere. Uh, and then there's an interest in abortion where there hadn't been before. So, you know, we are victims of the, of the news agenda And I think what gender editors can do is really make a case to keep on this story, uh, the multiple, multiple stories, multiple, multifaceted stories of gender inequality and how it manifests. And there's also the question of the terms we use, for example, when talking to a journalist who's not very familiar with the gender lens and, you know, gender sensitive journalism in general, can there be a problem when it comes to exactly the terminology um some words can be kind of frightening is there a discussion to be had about that is there something to do i do think it's something we need to discuss and one of our questions was you know what do you how do you define what do you do do you call it gender journalism do you call it feminist journalism or do you call it something else and there was a general preference for gender journalism um around yeah uh, and then second to that was feminist journalism and i think it's important Uh, to say that um, 
a lot of um, people responded that they didn't use feminist, um, not because of the reasons that you might think, which is, or that we in the minority world might think, which is, oh, people are scared to call themselves a feminist. Um, a lot of people said, well, feminism doesn't really apply to me because feminism uh, has been um, an exclusionary movement in the past and currently. Um, you know, some people said they prefer womanism, uh, and some people did say it's not worth my time to bring up the word feminist in the newsroom. So there's a whole lot of reasons that people would object to the term feminist, but all the same, a lot of people, um, 93% of rep respondents said they were feminists themselves, and then about 40-odd percent would use the term feminist journalism. The rest preferred gender journalism. Some of them thought those two things were different. Other people had other ideas. Uh, some people said either is fine. Some people said it's just good journalism, uh, which I do agree with. Uh, so there were different preferences around terminology. Um, I don't think we're ever going to get together and decide on something that works for everyone. Um, yeah. But I was interested to to hear how people identify on, on what terminology they found useful. Um, yeah. So I do we have? I do think people need to know that gender journalism is not activism, and a lot of uh, people reported, you know, saying, "Oh, it's you know, hearing that from editors or hearing that from managers. Don't you know? It's not objective or it's activism to." To, to write stories about gender inequality. So the, that distinction, I think, really needs to be made clear and newsrooms understand that gender journalism, it's not a kind of additional philanthropic thing that you have on the side to get money from a foundation. It should actually be fundamental uh, to reporting accurately uh, and to reaching new audiences. I don't think this is a time when newsrooms can afford to be leaving audiences behind. And I wanted to also talk a bit about your work at Impact. How did it? How did the? How did this work start? Because it's very specific. It's gender and politics. Uh, this summer, you did a special on sports with the World Cup, and it kind of blurs the line between sports and politics, which is very interesting. Um, how did this whole adventure start? Yeah, I've been reporting on on gender inequality for a while, and I had been doing it as as a freelancer for a while. Uh, and I uh, started talking to Rebecca Amsalem, who runs uh, Gloria Media, which is famous for its uh, news at LA Lawyers, about working on impact, um, you know, and, and, and really taking um, gender and politics seriously. Um, and what I'm trying to do with impact is kind of highlight the victories of successful feminist movements. Uh, so, for example, We spoke to the lawyer in Colombia who um, successfully took a case to decriminalize abortion up to 24 weeks uh, is just one example, um, but really kind of highlight what actually works in, in feminist movement building and in, in creating real change uh, in the lives of women and gender diverse people. So it's kind of in my mind, I'm building a playbook like this is how you do it. This is the, these are the steps that you need to take. This is what you can learn from an activist in Nigeria about political participation um, around election time, or um, we ran a brilliant interview uh, with an incredible woman in Kenya who works on reducing uh, sexual violence around election time. And and then now, yes, it's, it's summer. It is the World Cup, the final. When we're speaking, the final is on this coming Sunday. I am so nervous and it's been very stressful as a british australian person who lives in france trying to support all my teams <laughs> especially when they've all been playing each other but i've long said that sport is you know is a way to understand politics uh, it's not people want to want to separate sport from politics it's not possible 
Um, and, you know, this is such an incredible lens through which to analyze gender inequality. If you just look at the conditions that women players have compared to men players, if you look at the prize money, um, if you look at some of the brilliant things about women's sport, like the openness um, for L LGBTQIA plus players, um, it's you know, incredible to see that you don't see in the men's game. Um, and really, you know, this is another lifelong project of mine. I've been a mad sports fan since I was a little girl. And, you know, I grew up in a world that told me that sports wasn't for little girls. Uh, and I, I believe that sports is for everyone. Um, so with this kind of fun summer edition, I'm also trying to extend the hand to people to say that actually football is for everyone. It's not just for men. It's not just for white men. It's not just for straight white men. Uh, you know, football is absolutely for everyone. And there have been populations who've been excluded for decades. And, you know, that's not just women and girls. It's LGBTQIA plus people. It's, you know, racialized people. The kind of homophobia, the racism that's been baked into football actually isn't inevitable. Uh, and so we can use campaigns like we've seen um, Jamaica's reggae girls, for example, had to crowdfund to get to the World Cup. And they were amazing. Imagine, imagine if we were paying these people properly to do their job. Yeah. Absolutely. Nigeria would be, I think, in the in the final this weekend if if they had had proper conditions to play in. So, you know, we can use football as a lens to analyze inequality and we can also celebrate kind of the the incredible athleticism the incredible activism of the players who who've had to often sacrifice a lot to do the job that they love and going back to gender journalism and looking at the big picture there are many ways to take into consideration gender and what it means and one's reporting what's some advice that you'd like to give advice that you would have loved to have heard when you were starting out to journalists who are just beginning this work? Why? Yeah. What would I have liked to have known? Um, or what advice can I give? I always, you know, tell um, young journalists that they should never underestimate how many incredible stories that there are within their own communities and how, um, how well-placed they are to tell those stories. Um, and, and uh, especially Uh, you know, journalism can often be quite a privileged profession. Um, management in particular still skews males, still skews white, um, still skews middle to upper class. Uh, so, you know, a young journalist's superpower is knowing about communities that don't get their stories told well and or often. And, you know, young journalists often think, oh, I don't have enough experience. Um, but actually, you know your world better than anyone else. So look for the stories there and find the editors who will help you tell those stories well. I think finding good editors to work with um, or good uh, co-conspirators or <laughs> collaborators uh, has something that I've tried to do throughout my career and with the Gender Beat and with the Impact Newsletter have found community um, to do that. Um, Don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid for the, to fight for the stories that you think are important. Because if you think they're, they're important, they almost certainly are to someone. And do you happen to have any tips on how to really convince with a pitch how to fight for your gender stories? Yeah, that's another that's another good question. And <laughs> this is, you know, I've had a, a, a whole career of trying to get stories about gender equality into the mainstream uh, media. And I'm going to be honest, it's not always easy. Uh, and I've had all sorts, like I pitched a story about femicide and they said, oh, we no, we can't do that because we've got something similar coming. And the story that was similar that was coming was street harassment, uh, <laughs> which is 
you know, not exactly the obviously, same thing. <laughs> no, it's not remotely the same thing. Uh, so, you know, I think, um, but always try and find a really strong news hook so people can't say no. You know, the why now is so important in journalism, and that could be hard with gender inequality because it's an inescapable fact that never goes away. But really work on the why now. This is why you need to hear this story right now, and that might be, you know, an event, an election. Um, it might be new data. Uh, it might be something from TikTok. I don't know. I'm too old to be on TikTok. But, like, find find the, find the why now because that's the hardest to argue with um, as an editor um and also you know point to the don't just point to 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 victims of gender inequality and its kind of manifestations point to the systems point to the the structures uh, that are that are creating this this inequality and 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 you know don't think of gender journalism as kind of like fluffy nice to have lifestyle um first person stuff you know Good gender journalism is just good journalism. It's investigative. It asks hard questions. It holds power to account. It speaks truth to power. Um, so, you know, don't be afraid to run at the big stories. And, and really, you know, if you need to follow the money, follow the money. Uh, if you need to hold perpetrators account, do that um, and, and really think big and ambitious and think beyond kind of the individual manifestations of of a problem, be that femicide or street harassment or reproductive rights or, or anything else. But just, uh, you know, ignoring the elephant in the room uh, of gender inequality is bad journalism. Acknowledging it is good journalism. That's, you know, that's my two cents. Much thanks to Megan for this realistic yet inspiring look at things. And thank you for listening. This was Peer to Peer. For ideas, tools, and resources to help you in your lifelong quest for interesting angles and important stories, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter and visit our website in thebalance.news. See you soon.